I invite you to open your Bibles with me to Matthew this morning as we look at the way God's kingdom grows. As we work through this passage this morning, we'll see this central truth that no matter what threats come, God always grows his kingdom. No matter what threats come, God always grows his kingdom. So I'll begin reading in verse 24. We'll read for now down through verse 35, Matthew 13, 24. Jesus put another parable before them, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while his men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. So when the plants came up and bore grain, the weeds appeared also. And the servants of the master of the house came and said to him, Master, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have weeds? He said to them, An enemy has done this. So the servants said to him, Then do you want us to go and gather them? But he said, No, lest in gathering the weeds you root up the wheat along with them. Let both grow together until the harvest, and at harvest time I will tell the reapers, Gather the weeds first and bind them in bundles to be burned, but gather the wheat into my barn. He put another parable before them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. It's the smallest of all seeds, but when it is grown, it is larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour till it was all leaven. All these things Jesus said to the crowd in parables indeed. He said nothing to them without a parable. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet. I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter what has been hidden since the foundation of the world. Well, Psalm 78 is a beautiful psalm about the importance of parents teaching their children about the Lord. And in this psalm, we see that it's as one generation passes the Christian gospel down to the next generation that that they learn of who Jesus is. There, the psalmist, Asaph, who's writing this, says, "We We will tell to the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord and his might and the wonders that he has done. And so here you have people who have experienced the grace of God, seen the glory of God in redemption, felt the love of God, and and they tell to the next generation the things that they have known, the things that they have experienced. And when this happens, the next generation learns to put their hope in God, that they should set their hope in God and not forget the works of God. Children know the work of God as parents tell them these works. As parents and grandparents experience the grace of God in their lives and then pass this experience down to the coming generation. And children are pretty good. They can, you know, smell a fake a mile off. But when someone's life is transformed by the grace of God and that person tells of the transforming grace of God to their children, it transforms their lives through the power of the Spirit of God. Well, Psalm 78 is known primarily for for this, how it tells us how we pass the word of God down from generation to generation. But right there in verse 2 is a prophecy that we read this morning where Jesus says, I will speak to them in parables. And he fulfills that here this morning. Then the words come to fruition centuries later. All these things Jesus said in parables. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet. I will open my mouth in parables. Well, this word parable or parables appears 12 times in chapter 13 as Jesus tells seven kingdom parables. And as we saw last week, a parable is just where Jesus takes an idea that everyone understands 
and he layers that with a truth that's not so easily understood. He takes something kind of everyday, and he teaches a spiritual truth that's similar to an allegory. Well, in today's passage, we kind of have, I don't know, sort of a verbal sandwich laid out. In other words, we have an introduction of a parable, and then we have some material in between, and then we have the explanation of the parable. So we've got this big parable, and we've got two little ones right in the middle. We're going to understand kind of the big outside material to help us understand what's on the inside. And the first thing that we see here is that there is a threat to God's kingdom. As God's kingdom grows, there are threats that come. Verse 24 The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. Well, over the last, I don't know, a century and a half, our culture has moved from a farming culture to an industrial culture to what we often now call a post-industrial culture, where information technology kind of rules the way that that economy and, and ideas move and flow. But this wasn't true in Jesus' day. He's speaking largely to a culture, a place full of farmers, we mostly engage in planting as a hobby. I mean, we go to the store and we buy what we need. In fact, it's kind of you plan what you're going to do tomorrow or this weekend. It's likely that you weren't figuring out, kind of looking out and saying, what's the harvest like and deciding what you were going to eat. You're probably deciding, you know, what kind of chips you want or, I don't know, hot dogs, hamburgers, or whatever you're going to do. You're at some level deciding you're going to purchase those things. I mean, even those here who are, I don't know, particularly earthy and hearty, and maybe you even bake your own bread, you probably don't grow your own grain. You, know, you go out and you purchase it. So we live in a culture where we can pretty much commoditize and buy these things. We aren't planting, harvesting, winnowing, grinding, and, and producing our own bread. But the culture Jesus is speaking to is still a farming culture where people pray for their daily bread, and they pretty much make their daily bread. If they eat it, it's because they are working to produce it. So we find ourselves in what's a familiar spot to these people. A farmer goes out into his field. But like last week, we saw this farmer going out and sowing seed. Here we have a farmer going out. And last week, the the seed, the focus there was on the soil that the seed falls into. Different types of soil. Some rocky, some by the paths. You've got different types of soil. Here, the focus isn't on the soil, but rather the kind of grain that grows in the field. I mean, if you've ever planted a field or a garden of any type, you know it's hard work. Even if you do it for a hobby— there's a reason that, that, that Genesis says you'll do this by the sweat of the brow. I mean, it's hard work. When I mean, you have to prepare the soil at some level, maybe fertilize it, plow it up, till it up, plan where you're going to plant your crop, plant your crop. Then you fertilize it, water it, tend it. I mean, you haven't even gotten to picking it yet. I mean, and it's, it's a lot of work. That's why, we don't, that's why we don't, you know, frankly, that's why we don't grow our own grain. It's a lot, a lot easier to go and get it, isn't it, than it is to grow it. Well, the farmer and his workers, after working all day, fall into bed exhausted. I mean, they've been out there working, planting, and they're they're, they're worn out. They fall into bed. But while they're sleeping, someone else comes. Now, this person apparently is some sort of intruder, and he comes, and he plants a crop too. But he plants in there bad seed along with the good. Now, these weeds that will grow up, they look a lot like the wheat. They look very similar. You can't really tell them apart by the seed or when they first begin to grow But when the field gets to the point where the grains, the fruit actually shows on the stalk, then you can begin to tell them apart. So we have this kind of mixture. We have the wheat and we have these weeds mixed in. And as this grows, the master's servants, they go out and work in the field. And as they do, they observe what happens. And in verse 27, they ask, Master, didn't we sow good seed? So what happened here? And he said, verse 28, an enemy has done this. 
Now, the servants know this is not good. They're faithful servants, and so they're like, Master, do you want us to go out, and we'll take care of these weeds? He said, no, 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 let's not do that yet, because if you go out right now, and you start ripping out weeds, it's too early to tell, and so you're going to rip out some of the good grain as well. And so we'll wait together to do this at the harvest, verse 29. So now we're going to bump down to verse 36, which we haven't read yet, and see how Jesus explains this mystery, this kingdom threat. Begin reading in verse 36. We'll read down to verse 43. Then, verse 36, Jesus left the crowds and went into the house. And his disciples came to him, saying, Explain to us the parable of the weeds of the field. He answered, The one who sows the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world, and the good seed is the sons of the kingdom. The weeds are the sons of the evil one. And the enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the reapers are angels. Just as the weeds are gathered and burned with fire, so will it be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send his angels, and they will gather out of his kingdom all causes of sin and all lawbreakers, and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their Father. He who has ears, let him hear. Now remember, Jesus uses parables both to reveal truth and to hide truth. So he's been teaching the crowds, but here we find him. He steps away, and his disciples ask him, what in the world does this mean? And so he proceeds to explain to them in verse 36 what it means. In this parable, the one doing the planting is not us, it's Jesus. It's the Son of Man, verse 37. Verse 38, the field is the world, and the good seed is the sons of the kingdom. So The seeds here aren't the gospel. It's not sowing gospel seeds. The seeds are God's children. In other words, in this parable, slightly different focus than the last parable. Farming culture, but still a different focus. This is about the spread of the gospel to every corner of the globe. It's through this idea that we get to Revelation chapter 7. We find an amazing assembly there. After this, John writes, I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, and crying with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. You see, what we see here is that our worship here on earth, I don't know, it's like sitting down, it's like the chips and dip before the meal. It's just an appetizer. It's the the first course in what's to come. It's not the big meal. The, The big meal's coming. It's coming one day, and what we do here every Sunday is celebrate a little anticipation, a little appetizer of that great meal, when great meal, when every nation on earth, when every tribe, every tongue will be represented. The local church is a place for all people because of the taste of that day. People of different ethnicities, people of different cultures, people of different backgrounds, people of different experiences, and we come together not because we're the same, but because we worship the same God, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one people. God is calling out people from every nation on earth. Today, people in Zambia will be clapping and singing and swinging, singing praise to the same God that we sing. Today, people in North Korea will be singing quietly because they fear discovery, and yet they will be singing and praising the same God that we see. Today in a city in the Middle East, perhaps in Afghanistan, believers get into a car because they're not allowed to assemble and they drive around their city for a few minutes together in a car to worship God together because of this truth, that we worship one God, one Lamb who has given himself for all of God's people. The word of the kingdom is planted throughout the world. It goes into every corner of the globe and we all worship one God together. The local church is the kind of place, therefore, that seeks to be a welcoming environment for all people. 
It's just chips and dip, but it matters. It matters as we get together and we all sing. One day we'll all sing together. Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Yet as the children of God grow through the spread of the gospel, as these seeds are planted, God's children are planted everywhere. There are other seeds being planted as well. Verse 38. The weeds are the sons of the evil one, and the enemy who sowed them is the devil. So while the gospel of salvation spreads... There's a gospel of damnation spreading as well. This gospel says, you don't need Jesus. This gospel says, you're good enough. You're not a sinner. We all just really try to do our best, and God will reward us in the end. You see, you cannot receive the gospel if you don't understand you're a sinner accountable to a holy God. The gospel is the good news that Jesus came, as he said, to save sinners. Well, the tricky part of this situation for these workers is that the wheat and the weeds look alike. Wheat farmers throughout the world, whether it's in Israel or whether, I don't know, it's in Kansas, fight the same battle, and it's seeds that look similar. So you have wheat, and you have a well-known weed card called darnel. Now, you don't know this probably because you're not wheat farmers, but it's the same weed throughout the world, and it looks very similar. Now, when you first plant these, you can't tell them apart, and when they first grow, you can't tell them apart, but there comes a point when, by the way, the the color of the seed in the end and the way it grows relative to the stalk, you can tell them apart at a certain point in the seed's life, but it takes a while to get there. In fact, uh, darnel often looks so much like wheat that they call it false wheat. It's like wheat and false wheat. Well, the point isn't hard to see, is it? I mean, everywhere that Christians grow... False wheat, false Christians grow too. Now there's a temptation here, you know, to get your false Christian detector out and start hunting around for them, but Jesus cautions against that. He tells us that's his job, verse 40, just as the weeds are gathered and burned with fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send his angels, and they will gather out of his kingdom all causes of sin and lawbreakers. So it's all going to be sorted out, but the question for us is, what does this mean for us today. Well, first, let's note the consequences for those who merely pose as wheat. Verse 40, just as the weeds are gathered and burned, so the Son of Man will send his angels, and they will gather and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. You see, merely acting Christians and merely doing Christian things apart from a genuine relationship with Jesus through faith leads to eternal pain and punishment. When the day is coming when Jesus the Savior will return as Jesus the judge, and he's going to sort all of this out. And those who find themselves outside of Christ on that day will be judged for their sin against the holy God. Friend, the stakes are too high for us to mess around with this. God is a God of great mercy and grace, and today is a day of mercy, but there is an expiration date on that mercy for those who don't know Jesus. But anyone who turns from his sin and trusts Jesus will find mercy. Will you turn from your sin and trust Jesus today? Now, I want to pause here for just a moment because there are more than two groups of people here. You kind of have, you have the, the good weed and the false weed, but there, there's another group. And so there's a temptation as we, as we look at this. There are certainly good church-going people who don't have a relationship with Christ. That's certainly true. But there's another group, and the, these, these people are, are people who sit here and are like, man, okay, this is like, false weed and good weed, false Christians and two Christians, and how do I know like, if I really trust Jesus or not? 
I mean, I've heard this passage preached in a way that would literally scare the hell out of you. It would, it would freak you out so bad, like, look out, you know, sitting around you, you know, every other one of you is a fake Christian. And, and, and it's true that, like, at some level, there should be some heart examination that goes on here. And I'm not saying there's no merit in that, because clearly Jesus is warning us. I mean, it's a pretty strong warning what he warns against here. But it seems to me that the emphasis of this passage uh, leads us in a different direction. So let's think about last week's parable, the parable of the sower for a minute. So he goes out and, and he throws grain everywhere. And how do you know what, where, the, where the good grain lands? By the fruit, right? It produces fruit. Well, here, in the end, how do we tell the wheat from the weeds? It's not by where the grain lands. In the end, it's by the fruit, isn't it? It's, it's when the harvest comes, you can see the fruit. But in this parable, and Jesus is going to sort all of that out at, at the end of the age, and, and the fruit will be obvious when Jesus does that. And as I was thinking about this, I thought of, it's pro- I mean, it doesn't feel that long ago. It's probably 10 or 15 years ago that the movie Finding Nemo came out. And you have these little fish swimming around the ocean, one of whom, uh, you know, has kind of intermittent memory lapses, uh, Dory. And as she's, she, but I mean, the beauty is that she's very optimistic. And that's the beauty of being forgetful is you can always be an optimist. And so uh, she's trying to help uh, Marlin reunite with Nemo, his son, as they're swimming around. She kind of sings this song, just keep swimming, just keep swimming, just keep, it's just like, just keep going. And as I thought about that, I think at some level that's the emphasis of this passage, as in just keep going, just keep believing, just keep walking with Jesus, just keep persevering. In other words, if you've placed your faith in Jesus, just keep walking with Jesus. Don't, don't get trapped and don't, don't get so agonized that, that, that you're paralyzed and you don't keep swimming. You don't keep going. I mean, as we all sit here, the truth is that there's not a single person in this room that if at some level the worst thing we'd ever thought or the worst thing that we'd ever done was kind of place for everyone to see, there's not a, mo- there's not a person here who wouldn't experience shame in that moment. I mean, every one of us, if, if everything we've ever thought or ever done were kind of laid open for the world to see, we'd all experience that shame. That's, that's the point of the gospel is that, that God clothes us in Jesus' beauty, not, not our own works. Or maybe for you, I mean, maybe we, we all have those things too, but, but in your mind, there is doubt so strong that it's like, how could I actually think that? How could I question that? How could I accuse God in this way and actually be God's child? But as we look throughout history or examine our own lives, even those we know and love, I mean, every Christian has moments of genuine failure. So I don't think the question is, have I failed too badly? Am I sincere enough? Have, have I done enough good? That, that's clearly not the point. The question is, have I placed my faith in Jesus, and am I just doing my best to walk with him? I mean, I'm just trying, I'm just walking, and, and, and I'm failing, but, but I'm trying, I'm getting, I'm getting back up. And I love the way the old hymn puts it. Jesus, what a strength and weakness, let me hide myself in him. He says, tempted, tried, and sometimes failing. He, my strength, my victory wins. So the point is this. It's not, we're not, in the end, redeemed through our success. We are redeemed through the success of Jesus in our place. It's by looking to that, by leaning into that, by seeing that, that God rescues us in spite of the fact that at some level we're all a bunch of hypocrites. In spite of the fact that at some level we all recognize that we fail. He, our strength, our victory wins. The point of the gospel is that we can never do enough. Yet Jesus is more than enough. We are never good enough. 
and yet Jesus is more than good enough. We are never faithful enough, and yet Jesus is more than faithful enough. So hear the warnings, yes, but hear them in light of the gospel. The sons of the kingdom, the children of the kingdom, are those who know Jesus by grace through faith. And they therefore know that we are not enough, but Jesus is enough. No matter how big a failure I may be, and some days it's an awfully big failure, Jesus is more than enough. No matter how big a failure when I feel like, when I wake up on Tuesday morning, Jesus is still enough. No matter how much as a mom I feel like I fail my kids, no matter how much as a husband, not only I feel like, but I do fail my wife and family. No matter how much as I get older, my body and my mind grow frail and weak, and I find myself failing more and more and more. The truth is that Jesus is more than enough for all of our failure. So this brings us to our final two parables, which are smack dab in the middle of this passage. And these are remarkably encouraging. Let's look again at verses 31 to 33, and we're going to see here how Jesus' kingdom grows. He's got the mustard seed and the leaven. Verse 31, the kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed. Now, I'm not really sure, but I think Jesus is cracking a joke here. I mean, when you're the one coming in to rule the kingdom and you're the king, you're kind of bragging about how great your kingdom is going to be. I don't imagine that the disciples are picturing, you know, when Jesus, you know, compares his kingdom to something that they're imagining at the end of the day that he's pointing to this. Not the finger, the the dot on the finger, because this is a grain of mustard seed. Jesus compares his kingdom to the, the tiniest seed that they know. It's the tiniest garden seed in Israel. It's why when Jesus says elsewhere that if you have faith like, the grain of a, like a grain of mustard seed, you have the power to move mountains. It's such a remarkable thing because it's such a tiny seed. It's a tiny amount of faith. It, the power of God is never about the faith that we exercise, but the power of the God we pray to. In a little more than a decade, there's an ancient king, Alexander the Great. We call him the Great because in less than a decade, without modern technology, without modern transportation, he conquered the entirety of the known world. I don't imagine uh, Alexander sitting around, I don't know, with his junior emperors or his generals and kind of bragging and comparing his empire to, I don't know, a tomato seed. Yet Jesus compares his kingdom to a mustard seed. Well, at the time Jesus is telling these parables, his kingdom hasn't even really begun to grow. And in a short time, it will appear that it's failed entirely. It's dead before it gets started. As he will hang and die on a cross. And he looks around, and there are a few, not 12, but 11 men. And they're very average, ordinary men, some fishermen, a tax collector, day laborers. And yet this insignificant band will become an unstoppable force, first hundreds, then thousands, then millions. And today, some two billion Christians worship around the globe. That's because God's kingdom grows from this tiny seed to something like this. It grows from the tiniest seed to the largest garden plant, a plant where Jesus says birds can can put their nest. It grows into kind of a small tree in the midst of that garden. Well, then Jesus uses a, a second parable to make the same point in verse 33. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour till it was all leavened. Leaven is not identical to yeast, but it's similar to yeast. So as you made your bread each week, you keep a little out to save for the next week, and you put that in the middle of, of your dough, and then it helps the dough rise. So this, this woman has three kind of separate batches of dough. She has just a tiny bit, but it grows throughout the dough, and as it does this, the entire batch of dough rises. Well, have you ever sat and watched bread rise? Have you watched a plant grow? 
That's because it's worse than watching paint dry. I mean, this kind of thing is grow. And what, one thing that Jesus is teaching us here is that God's kingdom often grows slowly. I mean, we like instant results. Fast food, instant messages, high-speed highway travel, at least when you're not in Charleston, you're flying around. I mean, we like fast. Yet the kingdom of God often grows more like a plant in a garden or yeast in the middle of a bit of bread. It's not like a genetically modified jack in the beanstalk where it rises up overnight. Sometimes we're faced by drought. Sometimes we're faced by setback. Or we, we plant seeds and we don't see immediate, re, immediate results. We get older. And as we get older, it feels not only as our body aging, our faith is weakening and we get anxious. We start to worry. We worry about traffic. We worry about taxes. We worry about government. We worry about health. We worry, and I don't know, we can't keep the house like we used to keep the house. We worry, we worry, we worry. But brothers and sisters, we don't need to worry because God's kingdom grows. God's kingdom grows slowly, but it grows. There are some times when the Spirit of God swoops in and brings revival like this, and you see it remarkably expand, but often, and most of the time, it experiences growth in ordinary, average, everyday kind of ways. As ordinary men and women go to work and try to walk with God and fail and try to walk with God and fail, as mom and dad teach their kids about the God that they know and it feels very ordinary, very average, and yet they're doing their best to pass the gospel on to the next generation. As they show up at church and have ordinary Sundays with ordinary people, as this happens, God's kingdom is growing like wheat. It's growing like yeast. It's, it's growing like paint dries. It's growing slowly, but it is growing. Rather than doing a thousand other things that we could do, as we commit ourselves to following God's, God's kingdom grows. And as it grows slowly and imperceptibly, it is growing and it cannot be stopped because God's kingdom always grows unstoppably. It grows sometimes slowly, but it can never be stopped. Matthew 16, 18, Jesus says, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. The kingdoms of this world will come and go, yet God's kingdom can never be stopped. Rome, it's gone. Greece, it's gone. Egypt, it's gone. And one day, the great nations that we know in this world today, they will become like dust on the scales of history. But God's kingdom will grow until one day in heaven, all of God's people sing together, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. So how do we join in bringing in this kingdom? Well, Matthew 6 tells us we pray. Pray God's kingdom. Let your kingdom come. So pray for your kids. Pray for your church. Pray for our church to be fruitful in the gospel. And then in Matthew 28, Jesus says we bring in this kingdom by making disciples. And as we look through the rest of the New Testament, we see in the book of Acts, God's people make disciples by establishing, strengthening, committing to, and building local churches. So treasure God's words in your heart. Share these words with other people. Commit to an assembly of believers in a local church. Because the danger here is the we and the false wheat grow right next to each other. One generation believes the gospel. The next generation assumes the gospel. And a third generation often loses the gospel. Know the gospel. Pray for the gospel. Share the gospel. It is the life-transforming power of God that can change your life and will change our world. So let's take a moment now to respond to God's word in repentance and faith. I'll give you a moment to talk with God personally and then I'll close this time in prayer. Let's talk to him now.